Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, August 17th. We begin with a look at the efforts by a local group to lend a hand to Lebanon, two weeks after the deadly explosion that rocked the nation. We get details on the work being done by the Mennonite Central Committee of Alberta. Next, it's being called the next best thing to a coronavirus vaccine. We speak with a professor of microbiology, immunology, and epidemiology on the search for an antibody drug for the virus. Then, it's a first in Canada. We hear about a new University of Ottawa project which delivers free HIV self-test kits to homes. We find out how effective the tests are and when we may see the program move nationwide. And finally, South Centre Mall is buzzing with excitement. We hear about the mall's involvement with World Honeybee Day and how they have partnered up with Meals on Wheels for a sweet donation. 7.49 on the morning news. The tragedy in Lebanon two weeks ago still very much has the attention of the global community with citizens looking for ways to lend a hand. We're joined now by Dale Taylor, Alberta Executive Director of the Mennonite Central Committee, to discuss how the group is working to raise funds for Lebanon relief. Good morning to you, Dale. Good morning. Let's talk about, uh, you know, the Mennonite uh, Mennonite Central Committee fundraiser, and and how does it work exactly? Um, Mennonite Central Committee partners with a number of other Canadian-based organizations. Um, Some of them are Christian, there's some Muslim organizations and some secular, and they work together as uh, a coalition to relate both to the Canadian government and to partners in Lebanon so that we can be more organized and coordinated. So it's, it's, can we think of it as a hub then to a certain extent? To, yes, I think that's a good description. All right. So I know that Canadians, when something like this happens, we are a generous bunch. We, we want to try to help people, not just in our own communities, cities, provinces, or cross nation, but around the world. You're, you're trying to find that the, the best way to have the most impact. So tell us about how the money is uh, you know, gathered and uh, where it will be going. Um, the money goes through these agencies, through these Canadian agencies, to our various partners in in the country concerned. And right now, what the coalition members are doing in Lebanon is providing temporary shelters, uh, distributing food baskets and hot meals, providing personal care items. Um, when people's lives are disrupted, there's basic stuff: toothbrush, comb, soap, things like that that you need. And we send those as um, as kits that people can just receive. Um, the the part Partners are helping clean up the rubble, um, providing injury care, um, operating operating mobile medical clinics. Um, And then also MCC and the other partners will be there in the longer term uh, to help both with food assistance and down the road with um, psychosocial supports and trauma and healing supports. Okay, so if I'm, uh, you know, sitting at the coffee table at home listening to this interview, um, I need some instructions on exactly how I can make those dollars count and, and where do I go? Is it an online thing? Um, either online or by phone. Mm-hmm. So the coalition um, can be um, accessed online at together.ca. Okay, together.ca, that's easy enough. And, and the phone number for the coalition is 1-855-461-2154. And um, the coalition has arranged with the Canadian government for matching funds of up to $5 million. Oh, great. Making those dollars count. We appreciate you telling us all about it, Dale. Yeah. Dale, thank you. Thank you. That's Dale Taylor, Alberta, Alberta Executive Director of the Mennonite Central Committee. 810 on the morning news with a coronavirus vaccine still months off. Companies are rushing to test what may be the next best thing. Drugs that deliver antibodies to fight the virus right away without having to train the immune system to make them. 
Here to discuss this further is Dr. Myron Cohen, Professor of Medicine, Microbiology and Immunology, as well as Epidemiology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Good morning to you, Dr. Cohen. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. It's interesting because news headlines as uh, the months have passed, always focusing on the vaccine. I was unaware about this antibody drug. Tell us about it and how does an antibody drug work? Um, Well, you you have to kind of step back and realize what vaccines are doing are trying to inspire the person vaccinated to make antibodies. And those antibodies are hopefully going to be made in a concentration that either can prevent infection or prevent disease progression. Those are the two ways a vaccine might work. Now, if we have a pretty good idea of what antibodies the vaccines are the vaccines we give are trying to promote, we actually in a test tube can make those same antibodies and deliver them in much higher concentration uh, to a person um, either infected or exposed to COVID or potentially exposed to COVID. So you you can give orders of magnitude more antibody in that way. And in addition, where a vaccine will take several weeks to develop immunity, the vaccine antibody immunity, when you deliver these antibodies yourself, you have almost immediate protection from the antibodies. So essentially, you've done what a vaccine is supposed to do in a bridging sense. So it's almost a a synthetic version, would you say, to a certain extent? Yeah, it it is. That's a very good way of putting it. It is a man-made version of the antibodies that you want to be made through a vaccine. And we call that, when we give a vaccine, we call it active immunity because we've we've inspired your immune system to make those antibodies. When we give the antibodies ourselves, we call it passive immunity because we've given Mm. what you're calling synthetic antibodies. Dr. Cohen, can you give us examples of uh, successful antibody drugs that are out there that we may have heard of uh, for different afflictions? Well, the antibody field is robust. The idea of giving antibodies is robust. And you see it mostly now um, a lot in the cancer field and in the psoriasis field and these other fields, not infectious disease fields, because you see these antibodies being targeted, for example, certain cells cause inflammation in rheumatoid arthritis so you, or in Crohn's disease. And you see antibodies that are being delivered perhaps monthly to, to try and kill those cells, okay? So you can imagine the alternative is you're giving an antibody to kill a virus. It's the same basic idea. And the cancer field, the same, once again, the same thing. You see antibodies being developed to, to kill certain kinds of breast cancer cells. The alternative is that we would kill a, a virus with an antibody. Okay, very interesting. And the speed is, is amazing to me, like you mentioned, uh, versus waiting for the, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, effects to take hold. So that's something that has to be top of mind as far as those people that are interested in this. Well, I think that you'd, you'd say, well, who are the, you know, vaccines are essential. This is the, yeah. the, the vaccines and the vaccine, a good vaccine and uh, antibodies, those are bookends, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you need to think about using antibodies in situations where there's urgency. Mm-hmm. For example, in a nursing home where there are this massive community, uh, 
uh, transmission of COVID within a nursing home. For example, healthcare workers in some countries that don't have enough protective equipment, uh, situations where some people can't get vaccines, can't tolerate vaccines, don't respond to vaccines. So if we're successful with antibodies, then they would be used in special situations. They're not, a, they're not an uh, alternative to a vaccine. They're a bridging strategy. The other thing to realize about, about these antibodies is they are also a drug that we use for treatment. So you can envision if they actually bind the virus and we can give them early enough, they would bind up the virus um, so that further progression of disease will become impossible. You've probably heard about the use of convalescent plasma. That is bleeding somebody who's recovered and giving their plasma to the next person. Well, what are they trying to give in that plasma? They're trying to give the antibodies okay. made by that person. Very interesting. So I'm wondering how far along we are. And, and uh, I know we, we've heard a lot about the rush to find that vaccine. How about the antibody drug? Where are we at? Uh, same rush. Same rush. Um, there are uh, one. Two, there are two kinds of antibodies in clinical trials already. And the clinical trials are for sick hospitalized patients, for outpatients, and for prevention. Um, and those trials are progressing. One's from a company called Regeneron. The other's from a company, Eli Lilly, a company whose name is known to most people. And there are other companies, many other companies, making monoclonal antibodies. The trials take time. They're not as big for a variety of reasons as the vaccine trials. Vaccine trials are, are now 30,000 per trial. The monoclonal antibody trials are like two, 3,000 per trial or less. So we hope to get answers more quickly because the trial sizes are smaller. But still, the concerted effort, that has to help in, in the sense that if it was a, another uh, a disease or virus, if you will, we might just have pockets. But uh, under the uh, uh, microscope of uh, across the globe, researchers, that, that's got to help. What do you mean by that? Like, I mean, so why, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, just as we are looking for vaccines, that across the globe, uh, different researchers are looking for the antibody drugs as well. Uh, correct. Oh, there are many, many investigators looking for the very best antibody and then that can be generated in a test tube. Uh, I can tell you for sure if we're successful in demonstrating an antibody can either uh, prevent or, or treat an infection, it would be uh, a major breakthrough in this space. Uh, the other point is the antibodies work uh, in passive immunity to prevent infection. It further inspires the vaccine field. It says, well, wait, if the antibodies work here, maybe they're going to work when we give a vaccine. Mm. With the caveat that we can give a lot more antibody through administration of what you're calling synthetic antibodies, then, you know, gets a higher concentration. But nevertheless, it's all inspiring and they're bookends. It's really good to think of the two, two strategies as bookends. Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Cohen. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks. Thank you. That is Dr. Myron Cohen, Professor of Medicine, Microbiology and Immunology, as well as Epidemiology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main streets highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. Big delays if you're coming in from Airdrie this morning. There's a collision southbound on the QE2 just after Cross Iron Mills in your left lane. Backups are stretching past Highway 566. It's currently about 10 minutes to get through there. I'm seeing Dwight McKellen Trail down towards the Métis Trail just on the east side of Cross Iron Mills moving smoothly, though, if you want to grab that as an alternate route. Uh, once you're on Deerfoot Trail, southbound lanes running smoothly all the way down towards Memorial Drive. Northbound lanes are uh, not too bad. A little bit of that steady drive between Douglasdale Boulevard and Southland. And McLeod Trail, we've got 
bridge work north of Heritage Drive that has traffic down to just a single lane right now that was supposed to wrap up around seven has gone into overtime and we are seeing delays of about five minutes. A message from Canadian Blood Services, blood donors are needed to fill over 1,400 appointments in Calgary this month. Appointments are required. Book now at blood.ca. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. And helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master plan community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. 610 on the morning news. Ottawa Public Health and partner organizations have launched the first Canadian program to deliver free HIV self-tests for at-home use. Joining us to discuss the program and how it came to be is Patrick O'Byrne, a professor with the University of Ottawa School of Nursing and Ottawa Public Health Sexual Health Clinic Nurse Practitioner. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk about this and uh, how exactly does this test work? Uh, so the, the test is actually quite simple. Um, it's a test that's been available in Canada for 12, 15 years or so, but only in clinical settings. Um, they're on the process of basically trying to get Health Canada approval, and I think it's it's rather imminent by the end of the year that people will be able to get them over the counter. Uh, what we did basically due to the fact that despite traditional testing being available and then sort of all the impacts of COVID limiting access to healthcare, uh, we applied for a special access, a rapid access approval to them um, and made them available for basically uh, delivery via internet uh, ordering in Ottawa. It allows people do their HIV testing, not have to go to a clinic. So this has to do with probably the pandemic and COVID-19, I imagine? It was something we were mulling over. And then once COVID hit, it really accelerated it to say, we have to do this now. Okay, so how has response been, uh, you know, with your project? That, that is a great question for today, because today is the fourth week, uh, like we, we launched exactly four weeks ago, and we have sent out around 145 kits. Um, almost all results reported back to us, uh, all is negative. So people are taking it, and I would say around 80-85% of people who are ordering them are people who we'd like to see doing HIV testing. So I'd say it's good for the outset. So let's 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 get a little technical here. You say that they you know soon they could be available, kind of something you'd stop by any pharmacy right now. You're doing it with this program here, uh, but is this the exact same type of test that I would get if I were to visit a family physician and, and request or go to a special uh, sexual health clinic? It's virtually identical. So if you go to a clinic, yeah, you're going to get a blood draw, like from your arm, serology taken. Um, the the specific, specifications in the lab are slightly different, um, but it is effectively looking for the antibodies for HIV, detects after 12 weeks with around 99.9% accuracy. So yeah, it, it's virtually identical. So it takes 12 weeks. I'm, I'm wondering um, if, 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 that is, uh, if that's normal or that's just the way it goes in our nation. That is just, that's sort of the, the window period for HIV testing uh, almost everywhere. And that's more biology and then mm-hmm. the test parameters than anything limiting this specific test. Uh, versus uh, doing it with a health uh, professional present, doing it at home. Are there any drawbacks? Could, could anything uh, mess up? Uh, well, you have to, I mean, you have to poke your finger. It, the test itself is, I explain it to people, it's kind of a cross between a blood sugar test and a pregnancy test where you have to poke your finger with this tiny little lancet and you get this drop of blood and then you put it into the test and it shows you as one dot or two dots as a negative or a positive. Uh, if you spill the blood, if you knock over the vial, if you don't get enough of the actual dropout, you could get, like it could not read the result. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is if you have a positive result by yourself, uh, that's something that somebody would have to deal with. To deal with that, I mean, this is probably the most common question we get. What have we done? We've uh, notified local emergency rooms, crisis lines, distress centers, uh, family doctor's offices to say, people are doing this. They may reach out to you. Uh, mm-hmm. What we really wanted was a no doors, a wrong door approach into the healthcare system if somebody has a reactive positive test result. So kind of kind of a, you know, a, a safety net and an all clear type of thing. Exactly. That was our goal in doing it. And to say, uh, much like pregnancy testing, when it was brought over the counter a few decades ago, uh, it's, it's almost to say to people, like, you don't necessarily need the gatekeeper of the healthcare system. If you want to know your status, if you want to know something about your health, uh, we're giving that control over to you. So this, uh, this project, which you mentioned, over 140 tests have been completed in four weeks, uh, free to uh, people who want to take the test. Where does the funding come from? Uh, So it's presently under a grant from the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care in Ontario. Um, Knowing that this was coming, it really came to how do we develop, test, uh, pilot this mail-out public available system. And instead of doing it provincially, it was just a smaller pilot in Ottawa was selected to say, does it work? If it works, then consider rolling it out provincially. If it doesn't work, then do we need to tweak it or is it just an outright failure? So it's really to say, with this coming, let's not be reactive, let's be proactive and try to come up with a program before the launch. Let's talk about how prevalent HIV is in our nation. How many Canadians are currently living with HIV? Uh, somewhere around 68 to 70,000 people would be living with HIV. Uh, probably around 15 to 20% are undiagnosed. So you have, sort of depending on the area, um, sort of around one in five people in Canada who are HIV positive or undiagnosed. And that is sort of where I started. Despite free access, despite uh, sexual health clinics, despite outreach clinics, we still have that 20% of people who are undiagnosed. So what we're wanting to see with this is if we give another option, you can mail it out, you can do it in the privacy, confidentiality of your own home. Will this help people uh, learn their diagnosis, get access to treatment, improve their health, uh, their sort of quality and quantity of life, and then decrease transmission to others? So it's it's really to see if that will work. How do we as a nation stack up perhaps against other nations across the globe with our numbers of of, of people living with HIV and and, uh, the resources we have here? So comparing to sort of the United States, uh, England, Australia, uh, the diagnosis, the prevalence rate is around the same, uh, 0.03%. The percentage who are undiagnosed is about the same. We we have a lower number than the United States. That's not surprising, just based on the publicly funded healthcare system. Uh, But aside from that, uh, it's more or less uh, the same as the other countries who I think would be similar in their healthcare system and sort of sociopolitical status. So this this program in Ottawa, four weeks strong, you've uh, seen some success, it sounds to be the case. Looking into the crystal ball, when do you think we can roll this out? You mentioned uh, earlier at some point across the nation, uh, but do we have some kind of a time frame? Um, I would pretty, I'd be pretty confident that by January 2021, uh, these would be available, whether behind or over the counter in pharmacies across the country. And uh, lastly, there still is, unfortunately, some kind of a stigma attached to HIV. And so I'm wondering if uh, one of the bonuses of of this is those people who might, you know, be a little uh, reticent to go to the doctor. The anonymity factor has got to be a a real feature of these at-home tests, I would think. 
And that's that's one of the things that we're really hoping. Right? With that one in five people not knowing their status, is it access? Is it that they don't feel at risk? Is that it's stigmatized and they don't want to go into a clinic and be seen? This is all possible and has been reported in many studies. So we're saying, if we give you this option, uh, will people use it? And it's always interesting when you talk to people and you say, if you have an at-home test, would you do it? And they say, absolutely. But then when you deliver intervention, sometimes it doesn't materialize to what people said. Mm-hmm. But now we're testing. People are doing the test. Um, we haven't uh, had any diagnoses yet. But based on, so this would be Alberta and Ontario, the number of um, sort of the positivity rate, which is how many tests you run before you get a positive case, uh, is sitting around one in 600 tests uh, for both Ontario and, and Alberta. So at 145, it's not surprising we don't have a positive test result yet, uh, comparing to just baseline. But and that's him saying, could it mean that we're testing the wrong people? That's possible. Mm-hmm. But really, if we can come up with a way for people to right, sort of circumvent that stigma that you were talking about, get testing, get access to care if they need it. Um, and then if you test negative as well, we do provide uh, prevention services for people to uh, remain HIV negative as well. Good stuff. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That is Patrick O'Byrne, professor with the University of Ottawa School of Nursing and Ottawa Public Health Sexual Health Clinic Nurse Practitioner. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a mix of unique single-family homes, townhomes, and condos. In the southeast, there's a train causing delays on 52nd Street. It's currently blocking things up around 50th Avenue. So big, long lineup in both directions there. We're also starting to see a bit of a slowdown on eastbound Glenmore Trail as you approach Barlow in the southeast. I do see construction pylons out in that area, but no collisions or stalls. So that's the good news. Just a little bit of a slowdown heading through there. Westbound lanes of Glenmore Trail as you come in from Langdon. They're sitting problem-free from Stony Trail all the way out to McLeod. A message from Canadian Blood Services. Blood donors are needed to fill over four. 1,400 appointments in Calgary this month. Appointments are required. Book now at blood.ca. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Well, today is World Honeybee Day, and South Center Mall has taken steps to help support the local bee population with their own urban hives and is also giving back to the Calgary community by donating more than 100 jars of harvested honey to the Meals on Wheels Weekends and More Hamper Program. We're joined now by Ariel Zwiers from Honey Meadow Farm to tell us more about it from Honey Meadows. Thank you so much, Ariel. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. This sounds very interesting. The bees have certainly been in focus over the past handful of years, and now the mall is on board. Tell us how South Centre became a partner. Oh, you know, there's a... um they, they contacted me a few years back because um, we occasionally put some urban hives in on rooftops uh, throughout the city, and so they wanted to take part in that initiative. Okay, so, so what is their involvement? They're going to be the location uh, where you're going to be helping with these donations, or is this something that people can come on in and, and get a tangible idea of what the, uh, the bee population is like in our city? Well, basically, South Centre is the location. It's um, There's two hives, and they're placed on the rooftop, so not quite public access. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, because I was starting to think that I might want to avoid South Centre Mall cause <laughs> in case something goes awry. But the, it's, it's a tall building, and so they're up on top. And are they cared for by you or mall staff? They are. They're cared for by us, by... Um, <clears throat> by uh, myself and my husband and um and then um at the end of the day all the honey that gets made uh, from those hives gets returned to them and so centers then able to 
donate them back into the community and and, uh, kind of spread a little more sweetness. (laughs) Let's talk about honey that is fresh from somewhere like Honey Meadows Farm versus the stuff that we may uh, have, have bought that has been on the shelf in the supermarket for quite some time. Uh, well, when it comes, it, usually if honey comes right from um, the hive or the farm, it's considered unpasteurized. Mm-hmm. So that means that it hasn't been heated up and boiled, and um, uh, and and so so it might have a creamier texture than what a lot of people are used to uh, in more of one of those squeeze jars. Good stuff. How can we find out more about what you do at Honey Meadows Farm? We uh, well, we have a website. And mm-hmm. What <laughs> is it? Oh, it's it's uh, honeymeadowsfarm.ca. Oh, I, 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 I like how I stumped you with your website. That is great, Ariel. But uh, good stuff with South Center, and uh, they're going to be donating 100 jars of harvested honey to the Meals on Wheels weekends and more hamper program. And uh, not to worry, the hives are on the roof of the building. Thank you so much, Ariel. That was thank Ariel. you. Appreciate it. That is Ariel, you as well. Ariel Zwiers from Honey Meadows Farm.